You're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Nazir Jamal and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com from the east coast of South Africa in sunny Durban. AccidentalMuslim.com is a platform and a movement where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. We hope to add value to your life, so listen up and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum, this is Shabnam Khan and you're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Well, today our guest is none other than Shabnam Khan, a really amazing personality. We've been at Accidental Muslims wanting to interview her for a while. And uh, Brother Khalil and um, Zahir have mentioned they wish they could have been here. Uh, but she is an author, a freelance journalist, a copywriter and an occasional artist. She's lectured in media studies and English at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. And she has a degree in media studies, summa cum laude, wow, and master's in English, cum laude. She published her first novel, and I think that's where everyone saw the name, Shabnam Khan, uh, Onion Tears, on an Indian Muslim woman living in South Africa with Penguin at the age of just 25. Uh, she's written articles for publications, and I can just mention a few, The Sunday Times, O, The Oprah Magazine, uh, The Big Issue, 17. She's also uh, blogged for Mail and Guardian, a uh, thought leader website, and has uh, been featured on kebabfest.com, Al Jazeera, Al Qalam, and the South African Labour Bulletin. Um, she's also published uh, stories in Flash, the short story magazine in the UK, um, in the Sunday Times in South Africa. She's contributed to Kaplan's Force Lags Conversational Dictionary in Norway. That's a mouthful. Uh, her work has been translated into many languages, including Italian, Vietnamese, and Norwegian. That's so strange. We're going to talk about that. Uh, she has participated in the Midlands Literary Festival and many other festivals across the globe and has also traveled. And that's what we're going to really touch on today, inshallah. And finally, she was also selected uh, as one of the Mail and Guardian's top 200 young South Africans. So it really is an amazing um, history, shall I say. And now this journey that we're going to be going through with her, I'd like to welcome Sister Shabnam Khan to AccidentalMuslims.com. Thank you so much for having me here, Nazir. I'm really excited to be here. Um, that was a very long introduction, but um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Amazing. So let's get into it. Where, where did it all start? I mean, from the time you were born, uh, right here in South Africa, in Durban, uh, and then and then till till about your your high school time. Oh, some of these things I don't like to look back on. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so where did it start? Um, I mean, in terms of just I think writing and creativity from the time I was little. Anyone who knows me when I was young will remember me as um, I used to jump a lot. So. I used to make up all these stories and draw and write and I would jump and like my main aim was to get like the stories in my in my head like out of my head onto the page and so I think that's maybe where the drawing and the writing came in um you know people would ask my sisters um how's your jumping sister because they would see me in the garden like people knew for years I was just like this little small girl jumping around and like I'd be like talking basically to myself I think I was a bit mad but that's how I got the creativity (laughs) out of me at that age um and then uh, we jumped to primary school from here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so then they made me stop jumping, basically. <laughs> and they were they told me I need to stop. I'm I'm um, I'm embarrassing them. And so then I started <laughs> writing a lot of stories. Um, I used to draw still, but I, I mainly went into writing. Mm-hmm. And I would start off a lot of great stories, but I would never finish them. And I went to a public um, Indian school in Durban. And uh, when I started high school, I started a, I was at a public Indian school, which I would say was a very um, 
you know, very basic in the sense that like there was broken chairs and graffiti and that's, I mean, that was the high school I was in. And, mm-hmm. and from grade 10, I was taken to a semi-private Muslim school, which was oriented at the time. And so for me, that was, I would say that was more like a changing moment. Mm-hmm. Culture um, shock. Yeah, culture mm-hmm. shock. Um, I'm surrounded by all these Muslim people. <laughs> oh, um, and I, I, I have to wear a cloak. And at that time, Orient had those um, scarf with the flowers. Okay, I don't yeah. know if you remember. Yeah, and yeah. Um, there was like uh, intercoms in the classroom. And <laughs> so for me, it was very strange. And I, I always felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. I did literally even quite uh, stick out because I used to wear like a white pants underneath my black, uni- my black cloak at the time. Right. And I thought that was normal, but that was not normal. And... Um, uh, yeah, so that was a that was a kind of a culture shock for me adjusting to this kind of uh, school, and but I had friends who were crazy like me and who who made me help me helped me to fit in, mm-hmm. and um, I still continued writing, but I would never finish any piece of writing, and that's when I came to university and I started a um, I did a creative writing course in my honors year, mm-hmm. my postgraduate. And I started writing about a, a character that people found very interesting. Um, I based her on an aunt of mine who was very interesting, very intriguing. She didn't. She only wanted to eat white stuff like white bread, white mm-hmm. sugar. Um, she didn't like dirt. She made pickles for a living. She was very interesting. And so then I took that story forward through a master's in creative writing. Okay. And that's actually when I finally finished one piece of writing that I've started so you can see that languages and writing was really there from a, from a young age. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah. In retrospect, in retrospect, it was always trying to develop into something and I needed a structured course to actually help me get mm. that out. But was there any specific incident or time that really steered you to it? Uh, sometimes people go through some journey or experience and then they say, listen, I want to be a doctor. Was there something for you like that? Um, when, when we were in um, high school, there was a writer... Um, who came to speak to us at school. And he, it was actually Ronnie Govinder, and he um, told us about books and writing. And I remember sitting there and thinking, oh my gosh, this is a writer and it's so important and he's come to talk to us and um, I, I want to write a book one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think as much as many people do think that in their minds also. And um, actually this year when I was at um, Time of the Writer, we had to speak at a school and I was sitting and talking to them and like I had this moment, this flashback of me sitting there and it was almost the same uniforms even. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting and watching the writer and thinking, oh my God, this is a writer who's come to see us. I need to ask an interesting question. And I like the role had been reversed and I was actually living what I had imagined to be able to sit there in front of them as a and writer and talk to them. Get, not many people get that opportunity. And I actually like teared in that moment because mm. I realized this. I'm I'm doing what I wanted to do. I'm mm. sitting here and talking to them exactly as I imagined. So, yeah. As I said, I mean, many people don't go through those kind of opportunities. And I think it's it's important that we, we try and, and link up to where our passion lies at the end of the day and hopefully try and steer and grow that. Now, you're featured in many magazines, newspapers and various um, issues. But the name Khadija Bibi Balam will always remain with you, I think, probably for, for many years to come. Uh, take us through the journey of writing your first book, Onion Tears, especially where you created these these various characters and that journey. So basically, I think my novel came out of out of these characters. I don't even think I had a plot or a story, but I had such strong characters, such strong female characters that um, I put them on the page and I let them go where they needed to go. So I just watched them do whatever they wanted to do. They were that strong. They could lead the story. 
Um, so once I had these three main characters, the one I told you was loosely based on an aunt of mine um, who was just such an interesting person. And I'd watched her um, live. She'd lived. She'd lived such a difficult life. All my aunties, my mother has many sisters, and and that's kind of what inspired this book as well. They've lived difficult lives. I've I've watched them. Um, you know, some of them had to sell clothes on the street, and I've seen this, and I wanted to. Um, pay tribute to that in a way, and I realized that as I was writing the novel, I'm I'm writing about women and the kind of struggles that they've been through, um, just to highlight in our own community these kind of struggles that they go through. And um, the character Samaya came out in relation to the main character Khadija Baby Bellum, as you mentioned. So she's very traditional, she's very old school, and Samaya is the opposite of that. She's very open-minded. Um, she's quiet. She's moody. She doesn't follow culture and traditions she cuts the hair short um she's troublesome uh, in inverted commas so um she came out in relation to that and then the child anisa the daughter comes out to balance the two mm-hmm. between them and i mean i i only realize this in retrospect as i speak about it mm-hmm. how they came about um so there was no planned sort of structure to say this is how it's going to be i'm characters. the worst kind of writer because i have no plan <laughs> and that's why it takes me so long to write i don't plot things i just put what I whatever feels right and whatever is going going I just go with the flow of the story and mm. it means a lot of butchering and cutting up for me because I'm putting sure. pieces together and trying to make something whole out of like a lot of broken pieces mm-hmm. and um that's my style but it takes a very long time to write for me so were you taking some of the experiences that you had through your life as well and and placing that in the book I think you definitely take what what you've experienced in life and and use it somehow in in your in your work even and this is what i always say even not directly you might be working in the complete opposite to 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 what you've experienced mm-hmm. to see what it would be like to be um reacting in another way so i often say it's like you take threads from real life yes definitely but sometimes you work in in reaction to them mm-hmm. you make a character do something you would never do completely just to see what the experience would be to live through this character mm-hmm. So you take things from life, but you you completely um, manipulate them and and morph them and make them your own. So how how long did it take you to write the book? Um, it took me two years basically, um, but I, but full time full time. So I've been I, every day I would wake up and write from like nine until four every day, and I'd have a supervisor checking on me every two to three weeks. So it was a very intensive process at that time. Okay, so you were like really focused on doing this book. It wasn't uh, like, by the way, you know, doing other things. No, that's what the second novel is, is by the way. That's why it's not getting done. <laughs> but the first one was completely, um, yeah. So let's go through the, the process of writing. Personally, I've written creative writing for school. That's that's pretty much where I've hit it. Um, I think my strong suit is if i write a small piece i'm quite good at it but putting it together in a big piece or trying to put those small pieces together into a big piece is where i struggle and that's where plot comes in and how to make one chapter um fuse into another chapter and that's what i struggle with but um in terms of of writing i it's like i said it's like a, a canvas and i throw the paint on it and i see what comes out of this painting so i'd have an interesting character and i'd be like mm this is another interesting character i should put her in the book and i should put another one in the book and then let's see what happens if we put them all in a room together okay. um so there's really no it's structure it's like trial and error that's that's what it <laughs> it's, is it's really bad i have eight character i have eight characters in current time and like seven characters in past time in my current novel 
um, and I'm just the main thing is trying to wade through the whole thing and edit that thing to make it sharp, clear, and concise. Yeah, I think that's what would be really important. Now, um, publishing your first book has that changed your your process of writing? Has it? Um, no, I still butcher everything and cut up pieces, and no, it hasn't changed. <laughs> I just have no one to to push me anymore. Like I had a supervisor before to push me. So okay, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, do general general writers have someone behind them, just like who are monitoring them? I think Is in that, an yeah. ideal world, we would like that, but I don't think most writers do. No. <laughs> All right, so then comes now to your, your new book, Paper Flowers. Firstly, a very interesting uh, name. I actually Googled what Paper Flowers would be, and <laughs> it came from very interesting uh, answers to that. But are you willing to share some some information on it? Sure, yeah, yeah. I've, so I've recently been actually talking about it, um, just because I also think talking about it um, is good to get feedback from people, and also it helps me clear um, my exact idea for the novel. Um, Paper Flowers comes from the old Indian film called Kagas Kipul. And um, I really liked that name. It's it's a beautiful Gurudat movie. And um, it's a story about a young girl who moves into an old house on the beach in Durban. So this one is set in Durban. And she finds all... It's a very old, ruined, almost like a mansion. And she finds very strange characters living in all the different rooms. So they've converted the rooms to become like little flats and apartments. Mm. But it's, it's a very bad job of it. Um, things are like broken and there's tiny passages and there's bathrooms coming up in the middle of nowhere. Um, and she meets all these different strange characters and um, she starts trying to understand what uh, love is actually because it's a very big question for her. And so from each of them, she um, asks them what they think love is and how each of them have been ruined by love somehow or the other. Yeah. And then she starts actually finding out the history about the house, um, which ru- goes back to like uh, a century before who built it, why they built it. Um, there was a man who came from India and he had a family and he fell in love with someone else and um, they suddenly abandoned this house one evening. And so through notes and books and things she finds in the house, she actually starts discovering um, what the history of this house is. Wow. So is there a link between Onion Tears and, and Paper Flowers? No, not at all. I was aiming to write something completely different and go for a different a different style of writing completely. So would there be a sequel still to Onion Tears? You know, I think people want a sequel (laughs) because people often tell me, I I don't think many people were happy with the ending. They're like, it was so abrupt and it was, you know, we needed more. Mm. Um, Maybe one day I'll do a short story or something to figure out what happens to Samaya, but beyond that, no. Well, that that, that would be interesting or possibly a prequel, you know. Maybe. That would be interesting. (laughs) So, um, you know, everyone finds spirituality in different ways. Um, do you think your writing, uh, your experiences, you, you you find spirituality through your writing? Um, I, yes, definitely. I think writing is a form of spirituality. Um, I've I've been writing often, and I mean, I think even reading. Like the moment I feel um, upset or uh, disappointed or lonely. I mean, if I pick up a book. And I start reading, immediately the world makes sense to me again. I understand what I'm supposed to be here for. So reading more than writing, but um, definitely writing helps me sort out. There's a lot of thoughts in my head. And um, I find it easier to navigate myself um, through words on the page than than actually even speaking. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started writing, Mm -hmm. was because I found it so difficult to speak. Um, And which is the irony, is because then once you're published and once you've written, people ask you to speak all the time. 
Um, so I think I've gotten a bit better at it, but uh, I'm much more comfortable with writing a note to someone, writing a text message to someone than actually speaking to them. And I express myself much better on page than mm. in real life. <laughs> so as a writer, what would you say is your spirit animal? You know, I, I, I've thought about this question and um, it's a difficult one because I, I feel like I'm tender and I'm fierce and it's very hard to find an animal that is both these things. Mm. Um, but I, I thought about it and uh, recently apparently they found out there's this, um, it's a, it's a swift, it's a, a bird called a common swift or something. And it can fly for, uh, 10 months without landing. It's almost a year. Yeah. And when I read this and I, and I thought about this question, um, I was actually like, maybe that's my spirit animal because I feel quite often like I'm flying and I'm flying and I'm so tired but like I haven't landed anywhere yet okay. and um, also apparently it can do this because its heart is um, I, I, I might be mistaken but it has two hearts so it has a very strong heart that can actually help doing this and I feel like I have a capacity for um, a lot of love so maybe this um, my 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 spirit animal is this this common swift that can do this. I guess that is also um, interesting in the fact that life is a journey, you know, and, yeah. and I guess all of us are going through this, the waves and we don't realize that we just got to continue. It's a struggle. Yeah, and know? it's, yeah, exactly. Mm. It's a struggle mm. and it's just going on and on, but we do it. And we hope one day we'll land. Yeah, so there's many yeah, ways exactly. of expressing thought and reasons why people write. What What is your reason? I mean, I think, um, like you said, there's, there's many reasons why people write. And um, I mean, for me, it, it changes all the time. Before it was to, to seek a kind of truth in the world. And then um, it became, and now it's become almost to, to unknot something inside of me. And, um, but you know, actually um, something happened a few, few months ago um, that made me actually realize why I write in general on the whole. Um, I've, I've shared the story on my, on my Facebook, but I'm, I'm not sure if your listeners have heard the story. Um, last year, um, t I think towards the beginning of the year, I got an email from a woman named Mrs. Collins. Um, she was a retired remedial teacher, and she told me that she'd um, read my novel and she enjoyed it very much. And so I replied and I said, thank you so much. Um, this is wonderful. How did you get a novel about um, South African Indian woman in Canada? You know, I, I don't sell the novel there. And she says... Um, because she was teaching a child who was adopted from Haiti and someone told her there's a book called Onion Tears, which is another novel about an adopted child. And so she, I think she ordered the wrong book or something and she ended up getting my novel from Amazon. And she said she read it and it was exactly like her family and she recognized everyone there and um, she related so much to it and she just had to find me online and email me and tell me she enjoyed it. And I I loved this response because I thought this is why I wrote the novel because I wanted people to see universally um, how we are so similar instead of how unsimilar we are. Like that's one of my main aims in my writing is to, um, to show that despite religion or race or, um, you know, food we eat, yeah. at the heart of it, we're all the same. Um, we go through the same problems with families. We go through the same grief. Um, we have the same fears. Uh, so th I was thrilled with this. Um, then at the beginning of this year, she emailed me again to tell me that... Um, she said, I wanted to tell you something that happened to me. She says, in my little town um, uh, in Canada, it's very rare to see any Muslim people at all. So I, she's from a very small town. And she says, because I, I always told her that I wanted to show how, how we are all so similar, she needed to tell me the story. 
And she says um, it was about the time when um, I think the Canadian government were resettling Syrian refugees. And so they were suddenly, like, they popped up all these Syrian refugees in her little town in Canada. And um, she says she saw them in the in the shopping market one day, these two women. And she, and she describes it to me. I don't know what they were wearing on their head, but they just had two eyes poking out of, of their, like, the cloth on their face. Yeah. Um, like she really didn't understand the terminology, but she said she had just read Onion Tears at this point and she, she recognized them as Khadija and Sumeya. Like she recognized these people and she says, um, she went up to them and she says they probably thought she was crazy, but she was like, hello, how are you? You know, and she made friends with these women. Um, and she says to me that uh, if it wasn't for your novel, I would not have gone up to these women and spoken to them. And she yeah. knows them quite well now. And so for me at that, actually when I got the email, I actually started crying because for me, like beyond writing, uh, beyond getting awards or being acknowledged for what you do, this is why you write to connect people. And if if I wrote this novel only to make um, one woman look at another woman across the fruit and veg aisle and say welcome, mm-hmm. then then that was why I wrote the novel. Like I I immediately recognized that when I got that email, and uh, just because she accidentally got the book through Amazon. Um, so yeah, I feel when these moments happen and you recognize them, you realize this is why I do what I do. It's very humbling to realize how I would say like God works to use you in the process of doing something. Alhamdulillah. So I grew up reading Hardy Boys. My sisters grew up reading Nancy Drew. Uh, do you think books have an amazing ability to shape people's worldview, especially at a young age? Um, yes, definitely. Um, I I also I grew up reading Enid Blyton and um, Roald Dahl and uh, many strange and wonderful books that opened up my world. Um, which is which is a wonderful thing, especially if um, you come from a small community or from a, a very tight family. Uh, you know, uh, it opens up it opens up your your mind. I I recently came back from Kashmir and they have a little school there, and the kids were showing me. The, people donate books all the time to that school, um, and the kids were showing me the books that they read there. And it was it just like it blew my mind because I realized they live in this little village. Some of them haven't even seen cars yet. There's no, um, I mean, the electricity goes on and off. They're 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 quite remote. You have to take a horse to get up there. But they're they're reading about um, Malala, um, the Diary of Anne Frank. They're reading about Roald Dahl. They're reading like they really re- those kids are really reading. Also because technology is not on the level that we have it here, yeah. and so you know reading is their entertainment and. I just didn't think they must be sitting in this mountain. They're reading these amazing stories and the world has opened up to them in such a wonderful way. And I mean, I don't even think I could have written the novel or believed I could have written a novel if I wasn't reading books like that telling me the impossible is possible. I mm. mean, every day those books are telling you you can do you can do amazing things. I, I, I hadn't told you actually why I started writing. Um, one of the things I've, I put on a list of, of, I don't know, maybe I made a list of 20 to 30 things I wanted to do um, and one of them was that I wanted to publish a novel before I was, um, I mean, I wanted to publish a novel by 25. I just wrote that randomly amongst many things, learn French, learn Arabic, learn to ski, or I don't know, you know, it was a chicken soup of the soul time when yeah. you when you were inspired to do things. And um, I, I published my novel just on the head, just before I could turn 26, like literally like a month before I could turn 26. Mm. And I did it just because I wrote it down and I believed I could do it. And I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't been reading books from the time I was young. 
That's, that's really true because it's important for us to try and find the dreams, try and, try and follow that dream. Yeah. Many people believe, listen, I've got to earn bucks at home. I know it's going to be difficult. But that journey is the most fulfilling journey. So in South Africa, we're faced with many challenges, especially being a minority as Muslims, uh, but also Muslim women. Um, what do you think are some of the challenges that we face and are there opportunities to grow? I mean, I think South Africa has a very um, unique community for for Muslims, and there's a there's a lot of scope to develop. I mean, just even um, accidentalmuslims.com being able to uh, pioneer something like this and go through with it is is amazing. That we have this we have the space to do that. Um, I think being South African Indian Muslim woman, or just um, just Muslim woman in general, um, I'm just saying Indian woman because my novel is about Indian woman. Um, but Muslim women in general, um, I think, you know, this is an amazing country that that we can do things um, that we wouldn't think possible. You know, I I I, I didn't think um, a novel about a South African uh, Muslim woman would be popular, but it is. And I've had people like Africana woman, um, women from townships who've read it who told me they relate to this novel. Um, so I think. There's amazing things that can be done in this country, especially um, as a woman, especially as a Muslim woman. If you just take the opportunities that are there, um, uh, there's, there's, there's no limitations in that sense. But how do they deal with the issue based on identity? Everyone's searching for this identity as Muslim woman. Um, what do you think? What do you think? This book speaks specifically about it, yeah, identity. Yeah. I mean, every time we mention, we, we mention about the identity of, this, of the characters. Yeah. Um, is, is there some sort of solution you think that could be found? I think um, identity is an important thing. I think one of the mo- one of the important things the Prophet Sallallahu used to say: "If you know yourself, you know God." Mm-hmm. And I, I I always keep that in mind um, when I when I take anything forward, um, and that comes from knowing your identity. And um, I often struggled with: Am I South African? Am I Indian? What am I? These are very strong, different cultures, and they both are, you know, um, very um, intense on on each as their own. And they and I mean it's one of the things one of the characters question in the novel as well. She doesn't know what she is, and then she goes to India, and she's like, "This place is so filthy. I don't belong here." And in the end, she actually does feel like she belongs in this place. And I mean, I think that's something everybody grapples with: um, what is home? What what is my identity? And it's actually, I think, coming to an understanding that you can be many things at once. And I'm a South African woman. I'm a Muslim woman. I'm an Indian woman. I'm a sister. I'm all these things. And um, that's okay. You don't need to identify with one thing. It's it's uh, it, it's something that has many parts that can make a whole. Mm. Um, that's how I see it. So you've been awarded many accolades and, and uh, great experiences to travel across the globe. Um, one of your latest trips is to Kashmir. You've been there twice before. Uh, but tell us some of your many experiences, especially Kashmir, but then also some of your more humbling experiences. Um, I think if I could go with um, one of my humbling experiences when I, tra- when I was traveling was um, about two years ago, I went to Morocco with my parents, and um, there was this woman I met, uh, I would say probably more of the inspiring stories um, of my travel stories. She was very tiny, so she came to my waist, almost like very, she was very small. And um, she, I would see her every evening. We were, we were staying in a very like um, old hotel. It was ruined. You could see it once had a great heyday, but that was obviously um, gone. And she would lean over the table and get her food. And I obviously I thought she was with people because she was she was she was so 
short, if I can put it that way. And um, I thought she was with people, but by the third night, I realized she was alone. So she was just sitting, eating, smiling, looking around, quite content. And like immediately when it clicked in my mind that she was alone, I just stood up immediately and I went to her and I said, you want to come sit with us? And she didn't speak English, so she spoke French. And uh, she she's smiling. She didn't understand what I'm saying. And so I had to pick up her plate and pull it towards our table, take her to our table. She came to our table. My parents didn't understand what I was doing. They were quite <laughs> horrified at first. And then um, she didn't understand anything we were saying, obviously. So we were all eating like in this kind of awkward silence. Then I realized I have an app on my phone to translate when someone talks. I mean, the Google app uh, translate. So I um, I gave it to her. I told her to speak into it. And then she was speaking very softly, so we couldn't, her voice wasn't picking up. And so we we're all waiting and she would say something. And it was the most strange experience. Then our Moroccan um, tour guide came and he came and sat with us and he could speak French. So he was translating for her. Yeah. And so basically we went into a, like a, the hotel, like coffee kind of bar thing. It's my parents. They're quite old. Um, this Moroccan uh, tour guide and this very tiny woman. And we're having a conversation through him to her. And she's telling us about the things she's done. She's been for Hajj. Every year she goes traveling by herself. She says her parents, they worry about her. I mean, she must have been in her mid-40s or maybe late-40s. I don't know. And then she says um, her parents worry about her. But, you know, she knows she can do this. And she, she goes for a holiday every year by herself. And, I mean, I was thinking in my mind, how does even in the bathroom, how does she reach for a towel by herself? Like how if the towel is on the top shelf I just remember thinking this like if the towel is on the top shelf how does she reach for the towel like but um, so she and I remember sitting so she was very inspiring and I remember sitting there with this Moroccan um, tour guide who I describe in one of my uh, writing pieces he had like eyes like catfish and he had some very sad story about his father but that's another story for another time and she describing to us how she travels the world by herself. This very, with a, like a little cute little scarf. And she's just content. She was content with life. In her own little world. In her own, in her own world. And my, with my parents. And I remember sitting and thinking, th- these are the best people in the world. And I could never be in a better place. Like in this ruined um, coffee bar with people. Like there was some soccer game in the background. There was smoke. And she, we couldn't understand a word she's saying, talking in French. And he's describing it with his sad face. And my parents are sitting there and I just remember thinking this is the best place and I'm with the best people mm. and I'm the luckiest. And um, for me, that was a humbling experience to meet someone like her who obviously did this on her own and she didn't care. That's, yeah. that's such a beautiful story. Yeah. And I always say traveling really opens doors. Mm. I've met many people who have been living in South Africa for many years. They haven't even traveled to Johannesburg. Just leave alone that. Yeah. But once they, they make a journey across outside of South Africa, they have experiences to tell. And, and it's so important to, to really grasp those moments is one of the things you say you're passionate about is the idea of memory. Mm. And I'm just thinking as we're discussing now, t- tell us some more about this. Is it like a theoretical <laughs> sort of passion or, or um, actual real passion? I think I'm just fascinated with memory because we are basically memories. If you take away our memories, we are nothing. If I put my memory into somebody else, they are me. I am them. You are basically your memory. If you, that's, I mean, that's the, the terrible um, thing about losing your memory also is because you you can't you, you can't be yourself. Mm. So um, for me, the the idea of memory and the idea of trying to understand how that makes us us is quite fascinating in in my writings at least. And um, also, like I'm very interested in, in knowing how we change our memories. So something that completely 
happened to somebody uh, the same experience that you and somebody else had is completely different to both both of you because that person's taken their history and their childhood and applied it to that situation and you've taken your childhood and so you both see the same things very differently and um I, i'm interested in understanding how that uh, affects uh, the way we see the world so yeah i i'm trying to put that somehow in my writing but we'll see speaking about your writing going back to to the book onion tears um do you think that that is going to be your best work ever do you have that sort of fear and are you afraid of of that being a reality um i think on the surface of it i i am afraid that that is would be my last work but i think at the heart of it um i know i will write better things and i am capable of writing those better things i just need to do it so um it's a it's a i know it's an irrational fear to think i will never write something else again and that will be my best work um because i know at the heart of it um i can i can do amazing writing if that i probably, if i want to that probably yeah. would push you now to try and, to try and <laughs> i just need it. to to look into myself and and believe that and and go forward with it inshallah uh, and then the new book um that's that's going to be launched uh, soon shall we hope um i i i heard the interview with khadija patel that you guys did uh, a while ago and she said when people ask her if her new book is coming out she says that's a very rude question <laughs> <laughs> so um i get that question a lot i get it more than when are you getting married well, we so have one of our, one of our one of our fans on our facebook page actually asked that question when when the next when's book coming, the book out? coming out yeah. um i'm hoping to be finished with it i've pushed it from july to september to october so inshallah i'm hoping to be finished with finished with it in november and hopefully to submit it so then next year inshallah we'll have a book launch oh wow that's that's that, we're looking forward I to that so. for sure and we'll probably be there again uh, hopefully I asking hope so. you some new questions uh, <laughs> from and some possibly some of your new experiences and speaking of experiences i think people would love to know about kashmir um i know brother khalil has asked a question to, to me to ask to you um to tell us about this journey in kashmir i mean people um, not many people know why you went there uh, you spoke about the school that you were there but you were volunteering your time um so uh i volunteered at the school about 4 years ago actually for about 3 months um with uh, another uh, another friend and we uh, we obviously volunteered at the school it was an amazing experience like i mentioned earlier um it's quite remote the village the school is called haji public school it's run by um a woman named sabah haji she's the director of the school she um gave up her her, her business life and basically went into running this school and she takes volunteers from around the world she obviously screens them she usually takes um good volunteers and they basically open up these kids worlds um so the journey to get to the the village is quite difficult and this time on the trip we went to just visit the children uh, and visit the school basically not to volunteer to teach and so that was just 3 weeks and we came back but it's just beautiful because it's july um there's it's like harvest season mm-hmm. almost harvest season so there's apples and pears on the trees which also means there's bears mm-hmm. and uh it's just a beautiful beautiful place there's mountains and it's very calm so the kids are being taught in english the kids are taught in english urdu and hindi i think in school they're allowed to only speak english oh well okay yeah. that's an amazing story and i th- i think uh, there's so many so many more experiences to come for this inshallah 
Mm, we hope so. All right. So moving on now to um, some of the other questions that uh, have been have been asked. Uh, so share with us a funny moment in your life. Um. So about two years ago, I was flying to New York for a writing residency that I was accepted for. And I was talking to my dad um, through the Wi-Fi. I think Emirates had Wi-Fi. I just started putting Wi-Fi in the planes at that point. And I was telling, so I was quite amazed by it. So I was talking to my dad and I was telling my dad, can you imagine I'm talking to you from so high up? This is so amazing. And um, I told him, I think I said something to the effect like, I might have said Allah Akbar, I might have said God is great or, or something to the, at that point in the in the message. And then I wrote um, two hours to destination and I put my phone away and I didn't look at it. And then I looked at my phone again and I saw that I had written two hours to detonation. And okay. you can imagine I'm a single Muslim female flying into New York. Also, I was, this was the first time I was traveling alone. So I was quite nervous. That's why I was talking to my dad, actually. And um, <laughs> I saw this message and I, I was like, two hours to death. And I also said something like, God is great before that. Right. Two hours to detonation. <laughs> and um, uh, I just kept writing typo, mistake, mistake. Like mis- like who, like who the powers that be or whatever, whoever's watching this. I don't yeah. know how many people would be using Wi-Fi on the plane. Exactly, Maybe yeah. they're being screened. I don't know. And then um, I was horrified. I, I like, switched my phone off. I, I, I wrote to my dad, there's a mistake. Obviously, I didn't mean I meant destination. And I landed, and I honestly thought like there'd be people waiting to take me to Guantanamo Bay at the <laughs> at the when I, at the airport. Direct flight. <laughs> yeah, like a, I was so scared, um, but not, none of that happened. It, it went fine. But yeah. it was. I look back at it now and I laugh. But at that time, I was very scared. I'm sure. I'm sure. What are you most grateful for at this moment? I mean, I think um, my father has tried to cultivate a, a, a culture of a gratitude in us to always be grateful. And I think that's um, something I've been trying to do a lot to be grateful for whatever is around me. I, I think especially in this day and age um, with the kind of uh, com- comparison culture we have to always look at people who have more than us. Um, it's difficult to find things to be grateful for. But um, I am at this point grateful for for everything that I have, I, I think maybe I, I would say I'm most grateful at this point is um, being able to look back at myself with affection, which is a which is a strange thing to say, but I think for for a lot of for many years, I looked back at myself with um, dismay and uh, regret and uh, uh, I mean maybe even disgust, you know. And now to actually come to a point where you look back at yourself and and feel love for who you were and what you've done um, is an amazing thing. And it's something I've, I've been thinking about for a long time over the last few months. And so maybe at this point, that's what I'm most grateful for, to be to be able to look back um, with affection at myself. And what would you say is one of your most uh, comforting Quranic verses or ones that you really enjoy? Um, there's many, but uh, I think it links almost to, to what we've just spoken about. So which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? Which uh, I think is, is so important. Again, it comes back to the whole thing about comparing yourself to other people. If you remember what you have and what you've been blessed with in your life, then you will never look at someone else. And I, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to say, compare yourself to those who have less than you, not more. And I think like in, you know, in this kind of... Um, uh, almost a social media kind of context where you're constantly exposed to people who are doing more than you and doing better than you. You're constantly comparing yourselves to people who are 
um, who seem to have a better life. And I put seem in inverted commas, who seem to have a better life because that's what they're portraying. Mm. Um, and that's like uh, the first step to despair. And so I, I always, uh, I come back to that first. So which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? Because if you really look at it and you really look at your life and you acknowledge what you have, you have so much, you just have to see it. But if you don't see it, if you keep looking at what you don't have, you'll never see it. Absolutely. So I, I think that's why it's repeated so many times too. It's so important. So one of the questions from Zaheer is that, uh, what is your advice to people who want to become writers? I mean, my first advice, um, I always start off with is that you should be reading. You should be reading everything. Um, the the more you read the more you'll figure out what you want to write about as well i think i think what i think part of his question was um like how how do you go about starting it and how do you get about structure and ideas mm-hmm. and i mean i think the moment you start reading you f- you you start seeing what where you would like to jump in and change things or which characters you are interested in writing about and so actually the more you read the more you'll have a clear idea of what you want to write about and so that's always my advice um read 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 even if you're not writing then at least be reading powerful and finally your your last few words are, are really at the end of the day people want to know what's happening next we know the book is going to be launched hopefully soon um and then from there where where do you see yourself you've been doing much other work uh, around uh, is it still around some similar kind of things um there's some projects that i'm i'm working on different kind of projects um actually very varied things from writing but um at the heart of it i just want to try and finish this this novel and then i can focus on on other pieces of writing that i'm trying to to work on so beyond that i can't even see um the main thing for me is 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 getting this novel out and um taking it forward Thank you Shabnam for for your time this wonderful day and I think uh, the guys at accidentalmuslim.com have really been wanting this interview to happen and they are up in Cape Town and Johannesburg but uh, we in Devon here thought uh, we'd grab you as soon as possible so uh, Shabnam Khan an author a freelance journalist a copywriter and an occasional artist uh, thank you once again Shukran Thank you so much for having me Nasir Shukran for listening we hope we added value to your life and that you enjoyed this podcast we hope our guest has helped you live your life with purpose Don't forget to forward all suggestions and feedback to info@accidentalmuslims.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You're listening to accidentalmuslims.com.